to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Money Talk at the start of a new business week on Monday the 28th of February. This is Peter Lewis with the latest headlines. Following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the US, EU, the United Kingdom, Japan and Canada said over the weekend that they would remove selected Russian banks from the SWIFT messaging system, which allows the smooth and rapid transfer of money across borders. In a joint statement, the Allies said this will ensure that these banks are disconnected from the international financial system and harm their ability to operate globally. They said they will also commit to imposing restrictive measures that will prevent the Russian central bank from deploying its international reserves in ways that undermine the impact of the sanctions. On Friday, the EU, Australia and Japan unveiled sanctions targeting Russian banks, companies and oligarchs. EU sanctions were levied against companies in the financial, energy, transport and technology sectors. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the adopted measures would make it impossible for Russia to buy technology to upgrade its oil refineries or spare parts for aircraft. But the sanctions don't cover the import of Russian gas into the EU. S&P cut Russia's credit rating to junk. Russia's long-term foreign currency debt rating was cut by S&P Global Ratings to BB+, one level below investment grade, and Ukraine's rating was downgraded one notch to B-. And Clearstream, one of the world's largest securities depositories, said Friday it had cut off settlement of trades in Russian rubles. The Luxembourg-based group said that settlement against the ruble would cease with immediate effect and covered entities incorporated in the Russian Federation as financial institutions began to sever Russia from global markets. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by William Ma from Grow Investment Group and Alicia Garcia-Herrera and the Tixis with a view from mainland China. is Ben Cavender of the China Market Research Group. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street's Friday, US stocks finished a turbulent week with strong gains. The S&P 500 index gained 2.2%, ending at 4,385. For the week, it was up 0.8%. The Dow added 835 points, or 2.5%, closing at 34,059 in its best day since November 2020. Despite that, the Dow posted its third straight losing week, falling 0.1%. And Nasdaq Composite rose 1.6% to 13,695, taking its gains for the week to 1.1%. The Pan-European Stock 600 index closed up 3.3% after plunging by a similar amount the previous day. The UK's FTSE 100 rose 3.9%. That's the biggest daily gain since November 2020. The Moex index of Russian shares recovered on Friday, rising by 20% after losing a third of its value on Thursday. And that leaves it down a fifth since the start of the invasion. Hong Kong stocks closed in negative territory on Friday as concerns about the worsening COVID outbreak in the city weighed on sentiment. The Hang Seng Index fell 0.6% or 134 points. 
to 22,767. And for the week, the benchmark index slumped 6.4%. That's the worst weekly sell-off since March 2020. And are raising almost 120 billion, sorry, 210 billion US dollars of market value. The Hang Seng Tech Index rose 0.8%, but for the week was down 6.7%. And the Shanghai Composite rose 0.6% to 3,451, but fell just over 1% over the week. Looking at the commodities markets this morning, Brent crude oil is surging. It's up over 5% right now, uh, trading at $101.40 a barrel. Uh, gold is trading right now about uh, $20 or so higher than Friday's close at $1,909 an ounce. In the bond markets, the US 10-year Treasury bond yield added four basis points over the week to 1.9%. And currency markets moving sharply this morning. The euro is down over 1% right now at $1.11.5 in early Asian trading. Japanese yen is at 115.5 against the dollar. Sterling is worth $1.33.5 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 44 cents. The Chinese yuan uh, is weaker this morning at $6.31.5 in offshore markets. Lenders within Russia were offering dollar-ruble exchange rates yesterday far higher than the level of 83, which was where the market uh, closed on Friday, trading as high as 115 in Moscow. That's an almost 40% depreciation in the ruble uh, since Friday. Bitcoin is down 4.5% this morning at $37,700. And US stock index futures are slumping in Asian trading right now. Uh, down across the board, um, about, uh, well, about two and a quarter percent uh, right now for the S&P 500 uh, futures. In Australia, the SX200 has opened flat. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea also down about a third of a percent. And futures markets indicating that the Hang Seng is going to lose about 100 points at the open this morning. It's 8.09 and a half, much going on to discuss. So let's welcome our guests. We have with us William Marr, Chief Investment Officer of Grow Investment Group. Morning to you, William. Morning, Peter. And also with us is Alicia Garcia-Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific and the Tixis. Morning, Alicia. Good morning. Um, let's start with this news um, about the sanctions. The, uh, the, the EU, US and its allies removing selected Russian banks from the SWIFT messaging system. That's the system that allows the smooth and rapid transfer of money across borders. Russia's reliance on the SWIFT system for its oil and gas exports, but it could also harm Western businesses that do business with Russia. In a statement, the Western allies said, this will ensure their banks are disconnected from the international financial system and harm their ability to operate globally. They're also um, sanctioning the Russian central bank, trying to stop it deploying its international reserves in ways that undermine the impact of the sanctions. And it's the first time ever that a G20 central bank um, has been sanctioned. Um, Alicia, let me, let me start with you. 
Uh, Russia's currently got about $640 billion in reserves. Um, about 32% of that is in euros, 22% in gold, 16% in dollars, and about 13% in Chinese yuan. What is the impact of cutting off Russian uh, banks from SWIFT? How serious a sanction is that? And also the corresponding sanctions on the central bank. Yeah. Well, it's certainly serious. I would argue that because the SWIFT sanctions do not cover all of the Russian central banks, I'm sure there will be a reshuffling of, of um, transactions and that the central bank will play that role. I've already um, heard that the, the central bank is asking banks not to accept bids to, to, to sell uh, Russian hard currency debt, which means, you know, that that's in a way already happening. They, they, they're already uh, keeping what is very precious, that is the, their reserves, um, and starting to, to stop payments uh, with hard currency. But they have, as you rightly point out, renminbi. So they have uh, about 90 billion, equivalent of 90 billion US dollar renminbi at the PBOC. They also have 20% of their reserves in other currencies. I not, you know, not, and, you know, it, it, let's see what, what those central banks decide to do. They're not mm. forced to. to to, to to stop um, transactions with with the Central Bank of Russia. But, so but about two thirds about the economy of war. Sorry about that, but that does mean about two thirds of Russia's reserves approximately are in effect frozen. So it, it is quite a serious sanction, isn't it? Of course, of course, absolutely. But again, if you are in an economy of war, you don't pay your debt and you you import only the currency you can you can work on. I mean, we're not yet in commercial sanctions. They can import in, 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 in dollar and, and sell energy. That All of that is possible. But the point is, in the light of what may come next, I think they will be very careful with using the available reserves, and they will make sure that they have enough imports, you know, basically economy of war, imports of goods, and, you know, things they really might need to, mm. to go through this long, <laughs> we could say, you know, long battle in, in a way i think that's where they are heading mm. and uh, of course it's not a nice it's not a nice um outcome for russia but i guess that's uh, it was mm, meant to be yeah i mean uh, do, and that's who we are yeah do you think this could lead to bank runs in russia because presumably you wouldn't want to keep your money in a bank that can't make yes. or receive payments because in effect yes. its solvency is at risk Absolutely, and that's why I've been thinking, maybe wrongly, but that's what I would do if I were running the central bank. I would not open today. I mean, you can have a bank holiday announced while you prepare uh, what to me is unavoidable, uh, basically a kind of corralito, you know, this is Argentina in 2001. I have uh, basically control limits on deposit um, withdrawals. That mm. They have to do that, otherwise they will... It, and, and of course, the ruble can't be convertible because you cannot allow for that uh, those ruble deposits to be converted in dollar. Otherwise, you will run out of reserves in a minute. A reserve that you cannot even access in a way, so because a lot of that will be frozen at least they do on the dollar. So you know, it, it's just a no-brainer. <laughs> they will have to impose to me. Um, limits on deposit withdrawal. Mm. William, in, in financial terms, is, is this the nuclear option, cutting off Russian banks from SWIFT and sanctioning the central bank and freezing you know, two-thirds of its assets, in effect? 
Well, yes. If you look at you know、um, back in 2012, you know when、um, global kind of like take Iran off the SWIFT system. Actually, back then、um, they lost about half of the oil revenue,、mm-hmm. and currently, you know, Russia uh, uh, they are counting on 40% of the country's income came from you know oil and gas. So if this is medium to long term, I think that will impact you know the revenue of the country by a significant、uh, manner. And I think in the financial world, the key implication, if you like, is、um, inflation, and in particular, the risk for global is、uh, it could trigger global deflation, if you like.、Mm. It affects supply chains, doesn't it? Because obviously, Russia and Ukraine, they're large exporters of oil and gas. Presumably, it's going to have a huge impact、uh, for countries that are energy importers. Yeah, exactly. So I think、um, besides this, it, it also triggers volatility in the market space in the near term. You know, if you look at、um, the market participant, I think a lot of people are in kind of like a risk-off mode. I think、um, the VIX is now 30.3 versus like six months ago, you know, 26.7 percent. So I think、um, the market is start to pricing in the medium to long term impact of the supply chain disruption. We're we're waiting for the ruble to open on the currency markets, but early indications are it could fall as much as 40 or 50 percent. Could could we end up seeing maybe a full on collapse of Russia's financial system here? Well, I think you know、um, it could、uh, it could change day by day or minute by minute depends on the situation. But if if the current session will escalating to two point zero three point zero, I think there are possibility in a ripple effect on the confidence of the、mm. currency. But presumably, it also has a big impact on European banks. They're heavily exposed to Russia, and Russian banks and Russian companies could end up defaulting on their debts, which would directly impact European banks. Yeah, I believe this is a loose loose situation. So I think,、um, as I, I mentioned earlier, I believe it would be a good effort for everyone to kind of like calm down and don't use the so-called you know nuclear weapon on the financial world so so、mm-hmm. you know、uh, quickly or so dramatically. Um, Alicia、um, William there mentioned the impact on energy prices. This is presumably quite a big blow to the global economy. What what do you think is the impact on on the economy? Um, well, I mean, uh, uh, we have a G7 meeting tomorrow. I think、uh, strategic reserves are going to be free. I read whether that's going to confirm or not that、uh, China will not play. It, but, but frankly, I mean, that's not the key. And the key is that Qatar plays, Saudi plays,、uh, US plays. Even you know, Norway, UK. I mean, there's a way to do this. I, I actually think that.、Um, um, Ironically, because and it's already happening. You look at the U.S. Treasury yields, and you look at the Aussie curve. I mean, everybody is realizing that if the if the global economy is affected massively, the problem won't be permanent inflation,、mm. will it? I mean, and I think central banks are realizing that this is a liquidity shock. So I'm not expecting. Um, you know, inflation to be the main theme here in, in the discussion. I'm expecting、um, a, shock, a humongous shock to the global economy to be the major theme, and how you avoid that. And of course, as you said, financial in- risk、uh, on financial institutions, etc. Massive liquidity, maybe even swap lines, as we had in March 2020.、Uh, FEMA、uh, repo facility by the、uh, New York Fed. I mean, all of that coming up in,、mm. in the G7 meeting. If you've gone all the way to these sanctions, and I, I have to say, I think these financial sanctions, I realize that you know we would like not to have them, I mean, <laughs> but 
they, they are there, hopefully, and, and that's my reading, to prevent other types of, um, of, nuclear, um, of nuclear actions, which are much more important than financial, that nuclear uh, actions from the financial front, front aren't they? Mm. So, you know, unless we, we hopefully, yeah, we, 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 the thing is, we need to get the result of stopping these financial sanctions are there to try to stop it. That's, that's the whole point of it. So if they are if they are meager, we won't get it. So so that's why, and frankly speaking, we may have to go all the way to commercial sanctions, i.e., on energy, and that's why this uh, for, uh, this uh, energy research will be freed. So that's kind of the course of action. Are we running behind the curve with Putin, or 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 are we running on the curve? That's a key question. Mm-hmm. We're running behind the curve. It doesn't really matter what we do. So 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 yes, we're only worsening the situation uh, for others. But if we're running on the curve. This should be helpful. That's the mm. question. Okay. Um, William, of course, the, the big unknown is we, we don't know how long all these sanctions are going to last, how long uh, this war will last, and, and in what ways it could develop. But presumably, it does mean a lot of uncertainty for financial markets. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, um, people are start talking about, you know, uh, is the next global recession will be coming again, you know, would it be the trigger? We are seeing a flight to quality. You know, uh, U.S. dollar has appreciated. And um, interesting enough, if you look at Bitcoin, actually it didn't collapse. I'm checking the price this morning. It's still up 1.2%. So I think while there is volatility and kind of like risk off, but I don't see a systematic risk, you know, so far. And I think from a China perspective, the key would be more like focusing on the domestic consumption, internal growth and stability growth. Uh, back to the inflation point, if the session continue to be longer, I think the European recovery could be dampened a little bit due to the dependency on gas, if you like. I think that will impact uh, China recovery in terms of you know, global export. Mm. Well, what is a sort of a hedge against these types of geopolitical risks? As a portfolio manager, what do you do? Or do you do nothing? You just wait until the picture becomes clearer. Well, I think um, before uh, uh, um, the COVID, uh, sorry, before the U- Ukraine situation, actually, uh, people are talking about overweighting or in- increasing uh, less uh, correlated assets globally. And uh, as you can see, some of the global investment banks starting late last year start talking about, you know, long China or increasing the domestic China Asia exposure as well as the Chinese government point. point. I think at this point, uh, this China, you know, asset become more important in terms of the lower correlation to global asset. I don't think it's a hedge, if you like, but I think in terms of diversification and also kind of like earnings growth, China Asia would be uh, important for a global diversified portfolio. And secondly, I think the Chinese government bond will also kind of like complementary to some global, you know, fixed income exposure, as well as uh, uh, the currency, remember as well, because I think if the sanction lasts longer, I expect uh, euro will depreciate. And then some of the global investors, they will have like a renminbi as well as U.S. dollar as their currency exposure. Well, would you also go for maybe those uh, those countries, markets that are commodity exporters or have a lot of their own natural resources like Australia, like Malaysia? Yeah, that makes sense. But again, I think the risk on, risk off, you know, correlation is also high. It's kind of like adding your exposure in oil right now, you know, betting the, the supply demand will be disrupted in the medium to long term. But if the situation improves or the sanction is being removed, you know, um, some of the overpriced assets uh, will go down as well. So I mm. think that would increase your correlation instead of reducing your correlation. 
Alicia, if you look around Asia, um, the Asian economies, which economies do you see as being most vulnerable uh, from these sanctions and which ones do you think um, are maybe more, more immune uh, from the turmoil? Well, uh, Asia as a whole uh, doesn't have um, much direct link uh, with Russia. So we only have Rusal on uh, on the Hansen and, and we have a little bit of syndicated loans in Singapore because that's the energy kind of energy center. And, but, but I think generally um, first-hand insulated, but that's only, you know, direct effects. So if mm. you look at indirect effects, what worries me is this idea of where Asia stands on this. I mean, we have a lot of clear messages, I mean, clear in the sense that we have uh, UN Security Council, so India kind of abstaining, is that going to last? Uh, the impression is that maybe not for the next meeting. So there's going to be increasing uh, pointing, if I may say so, to China, because to me, it's, you know, that, that position of, of uh, abstention is going to be one that the market's going to focus on, or... Um, you know, in, increasing imports from Russia, or again, the, the uh, not participation in, in, in the um, lifting of the strategic reserves on energy. I mean, all of that, to me, could bring a different um, tone to to the now safe heaven type style of of uh, remedial guys. So this morning, starting to dip. So, so that 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 may change literally the you know the. Uh, the the environment here in Asia. And then there's a few winners. Malaysia is clearly one. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. the worst of the worst is those with big dollar debt. But there are many. These are frontier markets. This okay. is Pakistan. This is uh, Sri Lanka. Okay. I'd love to carry on more, but sadly we've run out of time. But thank you both very much. That's Alicia Garcia-Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia-Pacific and the Texas. William Marr, Chief Investment Officer, Grow Investment Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. 8.24 and a half. Let's go up to Shanghai and talk with Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Morning, Ben. Good morning. Um, I suspect that this uh, in invasion of Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, this is potentially turning into a nightmare, isn't it, for, for China in terms of how it responds and, and what does it do about its uh, sort of strategic partnership with Russia? Yeah, this has caught them uh, wrong-footed a little bit, I think, you know, with the Olympics and, you know, a lot of the, the very positive messaging that went out in regards to the relationship with Russia and new trade agreements, things like that. Um, I think China has to toe a very careful line here. Um, it seems to me to be the case that they're sort of towing a line where they want to really maintain that relationship with Russia because they, they need the resources. They like the strategic relationship of having a, an ally on their border. But at the same time now, I think you're starting to see a little bit of a shift with them putting out messaging, which is maybe a little bit more conciliatory or pushing towards a, a quick resolution to the conflict uh, versus mm. letting it drag on. I just don't know that they're going to get that. So it's going to put them in an increasingly difficult position. Mm. I mean, Russia's got about $640 billion of reserves. About two-thirds of that are now frozen as a result of uh, what they hold in dollars and euros and, and countries that have frozen the assets. But they do have about 13% in Chinese yuan. Will China still allow Russia to conduct transactions and payments in Yuan, even in the face of Western sanctions? Have they said what their position is? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I don't I don't think they've said very clearly yet what the what the future is going to hold, and I, I think the next few days are probably going to shape that. But this whole discussion of of you know U.S. dollar reserves versus you know renminbi reserves and you know the SWIFT network and, and international trade and all that's very interesting because I think for a long time now China has been quietly building towards a, a way to you know, remove the SWIFT network as sort of the key transfer mechanism for, for global trade. And so this actually, in some ways, accelerates their plans if they decide that they're going to work on, you know, bilateral trade with Russia, where all exchanges are done in the home country's currency, so in rubles and RMB. Um Whether or not they follow through on that, we'll see. But it, it's very interesting to watch how that plays out. And I suppose the risk is that uh, Western uh, countries and their allies could end up sanctioning Chinese banks if, if they, and Chinese companies if they try to get around those sanctions. Yeah, I think there, there is a very big risk there. And I think that, that there's a calculation being made probably on the China side, which is that um, it might be a bridge too far for Western nations to put really strong sanctions in place against Chinese financial institutions or Chinese companies, you know, beyond what they've done in the past, just because the global economy is in such a precarious state right now. As soon as sanctions like that go into play, um, we, we end up having much bigger inflation problems that we, than we already have, and it's mm. potentially destabilizing, certainly, to Western Europe, also potentially to the U.S. So it's, it's a very dangerous game right now. I, it'll be interesting to see how far either side goes in terms of strongly backing positions. I sort of get the sense that China is going to try and maintain trade, but also, you know, from a verbal standpoint, be kind of as conciliatory as they can be without sort of being made to look as if they're picking sides. Mm. And China's the world's biggest consumer of several commodities. So how will the disruptions to supplies affect China? Well, it's potentially a very big issue for China because, They've really dramatically increased um, strategic resources that they have started to import from Russia. So, you know, obviously petroleum products, but also, you know, recently this very, very large coal deal that they inked with Russia. Um, you know, at least as far as what's happened over the last couple of days, they're also looking more to Russia for agricultural imports as well. So, um, you know, there's a risk to China here also because they, they, they need those imports. Um, if they step away from them, it's not clear how easily they can replace them at a similar price from somewhere else. Right now, they probably can't because of the supply chain. But at the same time, they don't want to be seen as being too cozy with Moscow. Mm. I mean, we've seen already in the, the last few months that China has suffered quite badly from higher energy prices. If, if energy prices soar again, it's going to be quite difficult, presumably, for Beijing to step in and, and be able to control that. Yeah, they, they don't have the ability to, to, you know, ramp domestic production for, for things like coal quickly enough to really offset these problems. So it, it really is a risk, especially because if you look at the economy here, you know, much of the growth that we've gotten, you know, in this sort of period coming towards hopefully the end of COVID has really been, again, driven by the strength of China's export economy. So that's being hurt right now just with what's going on in Europe and you know, potentially lower demand from, from European customers. But then, yeah, at the same time, the, the input prices that China needs to keep making those cheap exports um, are becoming a problem as well. Uh, and what about the financial linkages? China doesn't have huge financial link with, uh, linkages with, with Russia. It's not a big financer of, of, of Russian uh, companies. But nevertheless, presumably, it could be affected by all the indirect uh, uh, hits, not least uh, the, the damage to market sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still a risk. So, you know, there aren't there aren't too many, you know, Chinese banks or Chinese businesses that have 
you know, really strongly held positions in Russia, but at the same time, it's still a you know, big trading partner. You know, trade between the two countries has gone up by, you know, a factor of 10 over the last decade or so. Um, and, you know, with really strong sanctions in place, it, it does prevent a lot of, you know, China's sort of mid-tier, lower-tier, you know, potentially consumer electronics uh companies in a major way, some of their, you know, food producers in a major way. So so it is a big issue, uh, and it, it's something that is going to put a further drag on China's economy. Ben, thank you very much indeed. That's Ben Cavender, Principal at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look around the markets this morning. A a lot of action going on in the commodities markets, first of all. Uh, Brent crude oil is about 5% higher than the US close at $101.53. Gold is also higher, up about $21 at the moment, at $1,910 an ounce. Uh, Bitcoin uh, is slumping about 6% right now. Uh, Sorry, about 4% right now, at $37,600. In Asian stock markets, the ASX200 in Australia is flat. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, down about 0.4%. Cosby in South Korea, down 0.4% as well. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open um, about 100 points or so lower later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with more business and finance updates. The COVID update is coming up next after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature around 22 degrees and sunny intervals in the next few days. It's 17 degrees right now, 71% relative humidity. The Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shirosky with the half-hour news. Air France has announced that it's temporarily suspending flights to and from China, Korea, and Japan while it makes plans to avoid Russian airspace amid expectations Russia will ban flights from EU carriers. Finnair has also said it would not be viable to operate flights to Asia if Moscow reciprocates a European flight ban. The EU announced a ban on Russian airlines as a part of a package of measures over Russia's military action in Ukraine. The EU chief is Ursula von der Leyen. We are shutting down the EU airspace for Russians. We're proposing a prohibition on all Russian-owned, Russian-registered and Russian-controlled aircraft These aircraft will no more be able to land in, take off, or overfly the territory of the European Union. This will apply to any plane, owned, chartered, or otherwise controlled by a Russian legal or natural person. So let me be very clear. Our airspace will be closed to every Russian plane, and that includes the private jets of oligarchs, too. EU member states have supported plans to take in all Ukrainian refugees for up to three years. There will be no need for them to apply for asylum. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians are seeking refuge in the EU. Sofia is one of them. It can happen with you in every home in Europe because nobody knows what Putin wants and where he will finish. So if you see it on media, it's not about somewhere else. You should feel that it's in your home as it is in my home. It's very sad to leave your flat and have five minutes just to go out. There have been more air attacks on Ukraine. Officials say Russian ballistic missiles have been launched from from sites in neighboring Belarus. For the first time since Russia attacked, air raid warnings were heard in the eastern city of Dnipro. 
Sirens have also been sounding in the capital, Kyiv. A Ukrainian MP Svetosola Urash said he and other MPs would remain there. This is our capital, this is our country's capital, and we do not intend to give it up. And people of Kyiv are joining in the fight in every single way, and members of parliament, the least they can do is try to be useful here, and join in, become soldiers in all of this, and try to basically destroy some of the enemy's forces while they're at it. Because again, we have no other choice. This is our country, and we are fighting for our country's existence right now. Billionaire Elon Musk has 